This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and re- Defining the sales game, and today we are joined by the one and only Mr. John Lyons from Insurance One in the greater Dallas area of Texas. He is a finalist on season two of The Protege, and I don't know about anybody else, but he told me before we started recording he's going to wipe up the floor with everybody. So I don't know what that means, but we're going to figure it out through the course of this conversation. What's going on, brother? Oh, man, just trying to have the Greatest Monday in the history of Mondays, as, uh, as a buddy of mine always <laughs> I try puts that it. every Monday. Yeah, that's it. You know, fight, fight through it, and get get the week started right. Mondays um, are usually like administrative days around here, so <laughs> it's always a good thing for me. You know, I I love just having the day to be able to catch up on paperwork and everything else. And if you believe I actually get to do that, I got a bridge to sell. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, but hey, to your, to your point, I think most people take that mindset of making a Monday administrative day. And if I can get out when everybody's in, you're, uh, you're, you're doing what, you know, what everybody else isn't. So trying to uh, get ahead of it. Absolutely. So why don't you give everybody a little bit of background on your agency and sort of what you've been doing pre-protege so they can get an idea who you are. And then we're going to jump into your time on the show. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, mine's a little different. Uh, I think everybody would probably say that. Um, but I'm I'm in year two of my insurance agent journey, um, if you will. So before that was a sales with a large restoration company. So somewhat in the industry, just on the back end, kind of going after large claims and, and different things like that, mitigation, uh, roof, all, all things disaster recovery, um, and then decided to make the switch and and jump over. So it was a big learning curve. Um, I like to joke and say, uh, in my first year, I learned a thousand ways not to sell insurance. <laughs> um, yeah. And so kind of coming in, I, I came in December um, of 2020. And at that time, kind of segue into how I found out about you and the the protege to begin with. Uh, I was looking at different technology and different things to try to make what I was doing better. Um, and then one of it was updating our company's website and getting uh, getting a little you know more advanced in that. Uh, and we use a company called Forge 3, which they start doing like this video, um, you know, integrating that in where you can, 
you know, do video proposals and things like that. So I was introduced to one Derek Hayden, who was uh, the one kind of teaching those video proposals. So I started looking more into him. And then I saw that he was on the season one of some show called The Protégé. And I was like, man, what the heck is that? Kind of diving into it a little bit more. Uh, and I had just missed the cut uh, to to even submit a video to be on season one. So, of course, I just kind of watched it like a hawk and waited to, for you to uh, open for season two, hoping that you would and, you know, dove right in. And it was everything I thought it was going to be and more. So uh, I was excited. I took that took that leap, um, just questioning whether or not I would get it or not. But if you don't throw your name in the hat, you will never get it. Right. So what made you what, what pushed you over the edge to to do it or to get into insurance? Yeah, to do it. Um, you, you know, like I said, I spent the first year, um, you know, figuring out a thousand ways not to sell insurance um, and then very quickly trying to learn and seek out different ways to become a better agent. And I'll tell you, for someone who's getting in year one, there is not a lot of education. There's not a lot of <laughs> things that kind of walk you through how to get started. Um, you know, learn. so I'm listening to this podcast and different podcasts. And so when I found yours... It was things that I was seeing real world and there was, I mean, you would speak to something and I would go, man, I literally just had a conversation like that and didn't know how to, <laughs> didn't know how to answer it. Right. I, was, I, I did that episode just for you, John. That's the whole reason I, we did I, it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but I was able to take it and go, Hey, I'm, I'm going to learn the next time and get into it. And so watching the people that you brought in from a coach's standpoint um, and even some of the, uh, the other contestants, but you know, I think you and I had a phone call, um, early on where I was trying to get our agency to, to be a part of killing commercial. Um, and you know, that it was just, wasn't something that they were ready to invest in. And so I was like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I've got to do it myself. I I'll bet on myself all day long. And so if it means that I can get to a point of getting into a competition and learning everything I can on my own, I'll do that. And so that kind of you're gonna be me. an agency owner one day, man, because you 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 believe in yourself more than your agency does. <laughs> exactly. Hey, absolutely. That's uh, how I that's how I take that comment. I mean, in my opinion, you know, you're a hundred percent right in the fact that there is nothing out there. And and let me be clear when I say there's there I shouldn't say there's nothing because obviously we have killing commercial. But I don't even classify that as a training course. And I tell everybody, and I'm sure I said the same thing when we were on the call, it's not the the video learning center. It's not the marketing content. It's the community that makes it so special. And that's the one thing that that it's very, very difficult to get agency principals to understand without actually experiencing it. And that's why like our event in Key West, you're going to see that I put so much stuff out from the people who came for the first time, both as sponsors and as participants, because the one thing I hear from everybody is, wow, this is completely different than anything else that's out there. It's amazing that, you, you know, blah, 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 blah. At the end of the day, there's a ton of sales crap out there. There's a, son of, there's a ton of people who are putting commercial training programs together that have never sold a policy or were unsuccessful as producers, so they've left to go do that. And I think the one thing that makes the protege unique, it makes killing commercial unique, is the fact that the people that you're learning from that are sharing the real world tips and tricks are actually in the game and they're successful in the game. So there's that. No, and that, and you know, to that point, it, it's a lot different when someone can go, Oh, well 
in the book on chapter seven, or you watch this video and it talks about what to do or versus someone who's been at the table sitting across from a prospect and has been able to, you know, have things that they would throw at them and respond quickly, real time in the moment, um, because it's never going to go cookie cutter. It's never going to go the way you think it's going to, because people are too different and they've had too many different scenarios in their world that have got them to that point. And so somebody may have burned. I've been where I'm sitting across the table wanting to get to the point of an AOR. And then this person starts telling me about how they got burned by an AOR one time. Right. Or and so now they've got a big wall up against it and you've got to be able to to in real time work around some of those things. Um, And anyone who hasn't been in those situations or having a, a list of community where you can throw a question like out there, hey, who's dealt with that? And then you can have a couple of people who come back and say, oh, well, I did this and I did that. Uh, being able to call Derek and walk through real time. Hey, he brought this up in the conversation. How would you have handled it? And then have it Derek go, oh, man, this same thing happened to me. Here's what I did. And then we walked through a scenario in the future for how I can handle it. Um, I mean, there's nobody that's going to be able to put that into a normal training course, uh, in my opinion. Now, because we're too greedy, man, we're too tight with our own information is what it is. Sure. You know, very few people are going to share everything. And the the thing that's crazy is I I share anything and everything I know. All you got to do is ask or have enough initiative to go watch a YouTube video or read a blog post or whatever, or or, or come on one of the Facebook lives or the boot camps we do or any of that stuff. And it, it blows my mind that so much can be there readily available to people at no cost to them whatsoever. And they're still not even willing to do that. I think there's a subset of producers out there that are looking for somebody just to come produce for them and them get paid. I mean, it's, yeah. it's that point because I, I can tell you if you just, just even I could between me, what Charles Specht puts out. I don't know how much Randy Schwantz is putting out at this point. I know that he's working on um, Big Nition, his his big software product. Right. Um, but just across those three people alone, there's so much material out there that there's no reason for anybody to ever feel like they're on an island. The problem is you have to initiate that. You have to go look for it. You have to search for it. Your agency principal's not going to do it for you. You know, your spouse, well, your spouse may do it for you if you're not able to buy groceries, right? But like yeah. nobody's going to do that for you. You have to be responsible and, and take initiative. It's well, funny that, because that to be able to to take what you're learning and then have have the ability, you've got to have the just the wherewithal to to understand the stuff that you do and then take it, twist it and put it into the peg that I'm doing, right? Because we're not, we don't go after the same type of markets, right? So the things that you're doing, not necessarily translate. If I just went literally the things you give me and go do it in the church world, it doesn't operate. Work comp isn't, isn't the same in that world, different things like that. But there are nuances to what you do and how you do it that I can take, learn, twist it a little bit and then go perform it in the world that I operate in. The, the psychology of human beings is the same no matter what. Doesn't right. mean everybody's the same, but the, the methods that you can use to communicate, to draw information out of people and how you relay that you understand and empathize with them, that's universal across the board. You could do it with the lunch lady to get a free cookie because you don't have a quarter if you're in school, or you can do it, use it to get 
uh, a piece of business across the finish line. I mean, to your point, it's funny that you said, you know, somebody gets burnt by an AOR or whatever, but that, I'm a storyteller, man, at the point of sale. And, and I use a lot of analogies and I always use the analogy of the hammer in that situation. I'm like, eh, the AOR didn't burn you. Another agent burnt you. Somebody who wasn't honest and used it. The AOR is a tool. I mean, let's face it. A hammer is the same way. You can use it to build a house or you can use it to commit murder. Is it the hammer's fault and how it's used? Probably not. Yeah. Right? No, and people, it. it makes perfect sense at that point. Let me tell you exactly why the AOR exists. For everything we've been talking about in the last 30 minutes, you know, it, it basically right. is what it turns into. And so you can soften that blow. But I mean, I do think that's an objection we see a lot because a lot of people have been burnt in 99% of the time, the culprits, the payroll companies, it's not even another agent. Yeah. And that's, that's one thing I, I quickly learned is a lot of my job, a lot of our job is to to be able to go in and educate, but educate in a way that you're not All talking you down to, do. to them. Yeah, you're not talking down to them. You want to be able to to speak to them. And, you know, something I learned from the, the previous role as the restoration company um, is going in. If, and if you don't, if you don't educate in the right way or you do it in a way that uh, makes them feel because they picked they probably picked the last agent or they probably picked the last company that they worked with. They're the ones in that seat to do that. And if you if you do it in a way where it comes across like they made a bad decision or they made a poor choice before. Um, you know, you can get burned by that because they take it very personal that they were the one in the, the seat that did that. I know you've talked about that a lot of times where, you know, coming in and talking about work comp, if you don't do it the right way, that person is directly responsible for making, you know, bad decisions with their work comp premiums. And they may not want it to get to the higher up because then they're going to get called out for having not done their job. And so you kind of have to navigate that in a nuanced <laughs> way to educate them so that they see you as a partner to help them succeed. I wasn't Man, doing if, that I had a, if I had a nickel for every time I had to do that and always just flip it and say, man, are you going to look like a superstar to your boss for finding us? Yes. Man, when yes. you and I take this solution to the owner of the company and you show him that this is your work product, you you may you may get a raise. I mean, I don't know, you know, but I always <laughs> make it about them, right? Even even if yeah. they are 100% the engineer that's responsible for the train wreck, I I need them. I need them to be able to get the deal done. And so I think yeah. that's a it's funny because you do. You have to navigate every single client as if they're completely different than everybody else. You know, it, and from the education standpoint, I have to believe when you would go in from a rest, as, as a, uh, a restoration company, most of the time, I don't know what the percentage is. I'm not even going to venture a guess, but it's got to be pretty high. Probably the first time any of those people had ever been through anything like that. Right. You know, it's not something that they do every day like we do. You know, it, it, they, they don't know what to expect. You know, and, and I can tell you, I have pretty high standards, obviously. You know, I'm pretty clear with my kids about what my standards are. I'm pretty clear with, you know, the people that are that are on my team, what the standard is. And I hold people to that, right? So when you go in in those situations, all I want you to do is tell me what the standard is. Tell me what I can expect. What does my next week look like? What does the next 24 hours look like? How long am I going to have to sleep in my house with all this racket and these fans running? Or should I go to a hotel and get a room and let this stuff happen while I'm not here? I can tell you, man, I had the pipes bust in my house when I lived in Birmingham, Alabama. And it was the first time that that had ever happened to me. And it was, sadly, it was because the contractor 
did not insulate the house correctly. He actually placed the insulation in such a way that the pipes were being more exposed to the cold weather and kept from getting warm. And so it caused the pipes to bust. And the insurance carrier at the time came out, did the initial, you know, paid for the initial patchwork. They're doing the dry out and everything. But as we were going through the adjusting process, we had another freeze and they busted a second time. And now I come in and here I am. I'm dealing with another fl- a house flooded for the second time in under a week. Thank God that the agent got involved, right? The- I wasn't in the insurance industry at the time, had no idea what to expect. I was still relatively young in my mid-20s when it happened. And they did a really, really good job. The restoration company came in and did a really, really good job. And they explained everything that was going to happen. I was logical enough to understand that I wasn't going to have this fixed overnight. That would have been an unfair standard. But when they came in Mm. and they set the bar and then they met what their expectations were that they had set forth for me, I'm a raving fan to this day of both companies because of how they did that. We missed that part. We missed that part where our first job is to educate. And I said it a thousand times on the podcast and probably another thousand from the stage when I travel speaking, but our average prospect has never been taught how to buy insurance. They just don't know. And we want to get pissy about the fact that people want bids or they want to use multiple agents so that they can keep each of them honest and everything else. They don't know any different. Nobody's ever explained it to them. And that's why it cracks me up when I'm in these internet forums where people are like, well, I got this first meeting and the guy told me he's already talked to three other agents and blah, 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 blah. And I see every other agent on there say, I wouldn't take it. It's dead. It's dead. Cut bait and leave. Blah, 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 blah. I'm like, what? Get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. I'll I'll tell you, you know, I think everything that we do and everything we're a part of in life kind of mimics each other and will always teach us things that, you know, we may not have thought. And for me, like, I know you can probably speak to this, but being a parent has taught me so much more about life, um, just kind of nuances and different things. But one of them has been that I used to think that my parents had it all figured out, right? That they always knew everything. And like being a parent, I've got a three and a half and a one and a half year old. And there are so many times that I hit this realization that they were just winging it, right? And just figuring it out as they were going along, as they were going through it. But they have to keep that face on, like they know what's going on, like they're on top of it because, right, they don't want their kids to to see that and figure that out. There are so many times when I I see that look in, you know, a prospect's face where they have to put on like they know what's going on, right? Like it's their business. They've got everything handled, everything going on. And I know I get, I see that look like, okay, they're faking it at this point and that's okay. I don't want them to, I don't want it to look like I know everything's kind of falling apart, but being able to educate them and do that in a way that they can just agree with it. Like they already knew, but I know that I'm speaking into their world and I'm giving them, you know, nuggets on, like you said, how to set them up for success and be, and to be better. Um, or even sometimes we have to do that, but that there's so many times that people want to look like they've, they've got everything together and they're doing it. Their business is, is wonderful. And I'm sure you've seen it at times. I've heard you talk about it. Um, and then you've got to go in and, and again, have that nuanced attack to be able to speak to it, educate them, and then get them to see why you're a partner or a better partner than, you know, who they're currently using. I tell people all the time, My primary job is to create an awesome experience for anybody that I interact with. 
doesn't matter if it's killing commercial, doesn't matter if it's Florida risk, it doesn't matter if it's a neighbor across the street that needed some help, you know, in their yard or whatever. And we go over and I take the kids and we help get their yard cleaned up if it's an elderly couple like we did in our neighborhood. You know, it, I want... I know I'm going to butcher this quote, and so I'm probably I'm I'm not even going to try and attribute it to anybody. But there's a quote out there that says something along the lines of, "People will forget what you said, but they'll always remember, or they'll never forget how you made them feel." Right? And so, if I can make people feel good and make them feel like they're the most important thing in my world at that time, and every time I interact with them. I'm never going to be at a loss for new business. I'm never going to have a problem with retention because I'm focusing on the right stuff. Too many times we get caught up in the sale of the product. If you give somebody an unbelievable experience every time they interact with you, you don't even have to ask for the order. They're going to ask you how they hire you. And that's the best feeling in the world is when you go in and you present your case and you, you just put your arm around that person figuratively and say, hey, I get it, man. I've been there before seen a lot of other people in your case. The good news is we can fix this and it's going to get better. And then say, how, what's the next step? You know, that's after 30, 45 minutes of educating them on what the real problems are. It's never the premium, man. I mean, it yeah. is to them, but it's never the premium. There's something causing that. And it ne- it rarely gets fixed when an insurance salesperson goes in to sell them a product. But if you take the time to ask the questions and you uncover the root cause, you're always going to be a much more powerful advocate and mainly because you can now articulate with great accuracy exactly what's going on in that company to an underwriter. And you don't hide behind that. Right. Yeah. Being able to be a a good storyteller and a good narrative builder for the underwriters, that was was something that, that I didn't know going into it either that I learned was... You know, I thought there's a prospect. You've got to do everything that you're doing with prospecting to go sell, get in front of them, pitch all of those things with, you know, the insured. But what you also got to do, and I learned through this process, is that you have to sell it twice. And I've heard you guys talk about that is that you've got to sell it to the you know prospect and then you've got to turn around and sell it to these underwriters to get them to understand what type of risk it is and get them to buy into everything that you know about that client. And that was something I didn't do in the first year. I didn't even think about it. It was just so much of trying to get quotes that I'm just pushing for them to throw numbers back at me instead of understanding, man, I didn't even take the time to sell this to that underwriter. Of course, he doesn't care to come back with a quote on time or to to even try to be competitive with this because he has really nothing to, you know, doesn't understand anything about it other than the accords that I sent him. So you go through the protege, you get in. What was your biggest surprise? from going through the process? Biggest surprise. Um, man, that's a, that's a good question. I think, um, I think going in is understanding how much I had in theory of what I wanted to do. And then actually taking the time. I mean, each of those challenges, two weeks, Seems like it's not a lot of time to come up with what we needed to and get it in. <laughs> they got a week. Um, they got a week it, last it, season. That's why yeah. you guys got two this time. And these were more watered down, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Even and some of that, even to my point, is I watched and I knew, you know, possibly what some of these challenges were going to be. So I in theory already kind of had it in my head, but then to find out how to put it down on paper and then articulate it in a way that seemed 
compelling or that you understood what I was doing because I thought I'd have a little bit more time, but then you got on and were like, hey, I need these to be three minutes. And then trying to articulate a conference strategy in three minutes or trying to say, uh, I mean, the cold call was probably the easiest one because it needed to be, you know, 45 seconds to a minute anyway, um, or the little elevator pitch, but everything else, trying to do it in a way that fit that time. There was, I mean, I would have to record those a couple times, watch the time and go, man, I'm at seven minutes. He's not going to want to, he's not going to watch all seven minutes. I got to cut it down. So, you know, being a, becoming an expert in basically creating a, a movie trailer brother i would have relished in a bunch of seven minute submissions <laughs> i can tell you the one thing yes. that i don't and i don't know how else i could could say it and be nice about it to get people to understand but y'all are creating one i had to watch 16 for oh. for the first few episodes and so people don't you know run the numbers on that man if they're all 10 minutes each, that's 160 minutes. That's almost three hours just of watch time. And guess what? I watched yeah. them all twice because I made notes. I watched them the first time. And then I went back the second time and made notes. So I gave the appropriate feedback. And I mean, I, I joked with a couple of guys, but I mean, there were several times where I got submissions that were 30 minutes long. Oh. And I like, it, it's like, you got to be kidding me, man. This is like a documentary for crying out loud or a Netflix special. I can't, yeah. I can't watch this whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Cause we're definitely not as entertaining as some of those people. And you've got to watch that 16 times would be pretty grueling to do it each week. Dude, it's um, grueling. So yeah, it's, I, it's grueling at five, you know, but in, in you put yeah. that many out and you know, guess what? I take the blame for it. I'm the one who put 16 people in, right? So I'm not complaining, but it is tough, man. But guess what? That's the whole the part of the part of the point of making you guys pare that stuff down is you're not going to get 30 minutes all the time when you have to articulate something to a prospect, right? It's just not going to happen. Your boss isn't going to sit and listen to you talk for 30 minutes about why they need to invest in a trade show. You might get five or 10 to talk to the agency principal about that. And so, you know, that that's always the hardest thing for everybody to do is to take their awesome ideas, which we had tons of them, man, tons of them, right. and then pare it down. Into, I mean, it, it's just, it's brutal. It's absolutely brutal. So I, I can tell you that I'm going to adjust again. If I choose that I'm going to do season three, it will be completely different in terms of the how the challenges are laid out and the length of time in between and all of that. So, yeah, but you know, the when I say it's the biggest surprise, I I will say it forced it forced me to you know a thousand you know people have a thousand ideas. I get a thousand ideas all the time on should I do that or you know should I try that or man that would be really cool and then executing it right. That's where everyone falls apart all the time is the moving from the idea phase to the execution phase. Um, and if anything, the protege forces you to execute. You've got to move it from the idea phase to the execution phase and then start seeing it if it works in the real world. Yeah. And I think the other thing is, you know, for people that don't really have their head wrapped around it, and this also goes for contestants that we're thinking that are thinking about applying, um, for season three, this isn't this isn't like some some fun game that you're just hanging out, you're hoping to win a prize. A, the prize is worth a lot of money. B, 
this is literally the rest of your career, man. Like you're using some, you're creating something that you can use in the real world. And that was the one thing that I want everybody to always understand is screw the fact you can get into killing commercial. If you follow this advice and you go through these challenges and you put a hundred percent of your effort into them, you're going to end up writing more business than you thought you'd ever write because you build a mousetrap that actually works and you got advice from some of the best minds in the industry with some of these coaches that we have. And that's the thing to me. That's what always drove me nuts when somebody would send me a, a uh, an assignment, when they would turn it in and I would review it and I'd be like, this looks like it was half their effort. That told me they were only putting half half the effort into their job as a producer to begin with. And that's how I, right. that's how I look at it. And you know what? Even though we had 16 people in the protege, the numbers still work the same way. The whole reason I got in the insurance industry is because I was told it was full of average people, period. <laughs> average people, C players. They do enough to get by. They make a good living doing it, but they're never going to do any more, never going to do any less. They're just average. And if you think you're an A player, you're going to dominate every single time. I'd love to believe that everybody in the protege is an A player, but submissions told me otherwise. Yeah, that kind of gave you the um, kind of the, the truth of whether or not they really wanted to be in it or whether or not even, even myself, because it, it got grueling after you know, challenge eight, you know, challenge seven, challenge eight of two weeks of just, I think you even went through a, a holiday that was, was in there. Um, I mean, of just being able yeah, to Yeah, we get went through those, Easter, right? Went through Easter. Went through spring yeah, break. So traveling. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that was, um, so that was the biggest were, problem for me. And you know this because you and I got to spend a few minutes together when I was in Texas, but, you know, it had to hit on the schedule. If it didn't hit on the schedule and it got into when I was traveling, we were off the rails. And we we did. We ended up yep. going off the rails. And it's been over a month for the last two episodes to get out. Thankfully, the final episode of the challenge round has been has been published. But that's again, and I'm a softie in some regards, and I probably need to not be as much. You know, when we have a deadline, we have a flipping deadline, man. Now, you had an issue with a glitch, right? Where you were recording in a file format that wasn't recognized by my stuff when I tried to read it. I get that, right? You you fixed it, and I told you, don't don't sweat it. Just when you have a second. Then I found out I could just go online, and there's a converter for it. And the next time that it happened from somebody else, I just converted it myself. But, you know, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who knew the challenge for two weeks and made no effort at all to get anything in or communicate with me. And here, here I am like having to chase a bunch of, of grown adults for their work product. If that was a proposal to a prospect. You just lost the you deal. Lost, yeah, absolutely. And the, the thing that, you know, was, was some of those and kind of hearing, you know, in the community as we were, we were talking, the thing I kept going back to and I kept even saying is like, guys to our team, like, Hey, remember you signed up for this. You wanted this. So like as much as it's maybe grueling, you threw your name in the hat and said you wanted to go win this thing. So if, if you're trying to do that, then look, like there's nothing to complain about. Like do the work. You've got two weeks. It's making you better anyway. I mean, for everyone who didn't make it to the that the final six, they have nothing. Yes, it may be better for them. Uh, you know, if they were, that's what they were trying to do. But they have a game plan to right now go out and execute. 
to go dominate in their space if they want to, regardless of making it to production or not. They have everything they need to go go out and do that. Well, they got more than that because what you guys don't know, and it'll be announced when the by the time these episodes air is that I had a heck of a time, man. The reason there's eight is I just couldn't get to six. There were hmm. there were four people that were so closely aligned that I was just like, eh, screw it. We'll just have eight instead of six. This is the I'll, I'll hit the easy button on this one. But for the four people that I didn't have come through, I actually gave them, um, I don't remember if it was six months or a year. It doesn't really matter. Even if it was only six months, it'll turn into a multi-year deal. But I just told them, look, Every other week, 30 minutes to an hour, I'll give you one-on-one coaching. I appreciate you coming in and trying in the show and I'll give you the time so that you can, you know, bounce ideas off of me or whatever else. So they certainly did not leave as losers by any stretch of the imagination. You're a hundred percent right. They have something they can continue to use. And I think that the people that will, that are ultimately going to win and be the most successful took that piece seriously from the very beginning and realized Because I'm going to tell you what, man, Brian McCall is an absolute certifiable nutcase. That guy, (laughs) you know, and he comes, he comes up on everybody's call, right? But he's also a really smart guy in his challenges. Like I'm never going to get past risksucks.com. I'm just not like, I would never brand something that way. It's just not who I am, but that's him, man. And he owns it. He's going to embrace it. He's going to run with it. And he checks all the boxes. I mean, from an entertaining standpoint, absolutely. Maybe too entertaining sometimes, but you know, he gets it. And I think that he's going to have a really successful career. Your work product personally got exceptionally better by the end. It's not that it sucked at the very beginning, but if I were to look at people that I think made great strides along the way were from where they started and what I saw first from them versus what I saw at the end, I would say you and Abby by far were the two that just blew me away with how much better everything got. Even in, in the tough, again, this goes back to the other tough part. Even if I couldn't feature you guys in every single episode, just know that, you know, I mean, I don't see anything in any, in any of what you turned in. If you made some of the corrections, when I gave you constructive criticism that doesn't play in the real world, I have to believe you'll write business using your mousetrap. I have to. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It, it, and that's the, that's the type of stuff that I wouldn't have been able to do on my own. Right. Cause I don't have anyone to bounce, bounce things off of, of turning turning something in or getting an idea and then getting someone who's been in it for a while um, to come back and critique it and go, man, that would be good, but it'd be even better if you were pointing it in this direction or if you tweaked this. And I, there's there's not an experience I could have had in this my second year of this career that would have put me where I am now had I not thrown my name in that. So you're in the final eight, you're out using the pro- work product that you put together. What's it going? How's it going in the real world? Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's going really well. I, we had um, kind of a, a series of putting it all together. We had a, a convention or a, I guess you'd call it like a little conference. One of my uh, niches is kind of division three, uh, you know, Christian universities. So one of the associations we're a part of, uh, it's a pool of Baptist uh, colleges and things like that. They had 
uh, a little conference in Birmingham, Alabama. Where was it? So, in Samford or Birmingham Southern? It was at Samford. Yep. Yeah. So Samford is one. They kind of rotate through the schools there. Um, and so it was at Samford. Oh, that's right. Birmingham Southern's yeah. Methodist. That's Birmingham Southern's my alma mater. Samford is where I was accepted to law school and chose not to go when I decided Ooh. I wasn't going to be a lawyer. <laughs> good, good decision. Yeah. Well, I think I'd still be paying for it. So. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Yeah. And, uh, Sanford's not a not a cheap school by by any means. Beautiful campus. Uh, oh, absolutely! And I was actually surprised by Birmingham. Uh, that was my first time there. It's, it's changed it's a lot since it changed a lot since I moved away. I'll take credit for leaving and allowing them to take it into the 20th century. But no, from everything I understand, it's been a long time since I've been back. Like I've probably not been back in over 15 years. So I need to go back oh, and I'm check it out lot. because the whole South side got built out and there's a bunch of other things. And I got a lot of friends there, but when you're talking to your friends, you're asking about their lives, not what's going on with the infrastructure of the city. Right up the city. Yeah, for sure. But taking that plan that I had of, okay, I know I've got a certain amount of, you know, university presidents who are going to be here. So going through, I sent, um, you know, sent built out invites. I was hitting them up ahead of time, planned uh, a dinner the night before, kind of an opening dinner and just invited all of them, but got a, just a smaller, intimate few to come to a dinner, um, which gave me a little bit better one-on-one -on -one time with some of those guys. And then spending the two days while we were there, um, kind of using my idea of creating a video uh, of the event and of Birmingham. So I went around and just kind of took some B-roll shots. Uh, then on the back end, taking your advice, sat down, wrote hand, you know, thank you cards instead of using a, a service like we talked about, which I joked with my wife because my hand was like, I mean, I had to write. It's the worst, like, isn't it? 30. 30 of those. I'm like, I don't remember the last time I sat down and actually wrote this much, um, you know, but sent those out, sent out that video um, just saying, hey, here's a recap of the event. It was great to meet you guys. Um, and just doing those simple things that I put together ahead of time. I've had phenomenal feedback, have a ton of meetings that I've been able to set up. I'm going next week. Um, I've got a lunch down in um, Belton uh, here in Texas with with one of the universities. So just using that small strategy of taking the time to come up with it and then implementation almost right after we were kind of done with those challenges uh, and seeing that feedback has been really good. That's good to hear, man. I'm glad I'm happy for you. And I think that that'll bear fruit for, for certain, you know, the, the number one thing is getting the at bats. And if you can get the at bats, even if you don't get a hit every single time, you'll perfect your craft until you do. And that'll just get easier and easier and easier to, to determine how to get stuff across the finish line. So let me ask you this one last thing. You're two years in. What is one piece of advice that you would give after two years in the industry to somebody who's just now coming in as a new producer or somebody who maybe has their license and they've worked inside the agency doing personal lines and inbound small commercial leads? What type of advice would you give them? I think it would be, it, it would be twofold is that um, one immediately find ways to to get education from someone who's been in the business that's uh, been doing it longer than you, whether that's a mentor or you find a podcast or you find something where you can get educated very quickly um, in the industry. The other part um, is to learn when to walk away and not just go after everything and just try to quote and all of those things and see what sticks create a plan and then actively pursue that plan and just try it out for three months. 
see if it works, make some adjustments, do three more months, six months, uh, and then make your adjustments. Because part of that, that I joked that I learned, you know, I figured out a thousand ways not to sell insurance. I wasted a lot of time giving anybody and everybody a quote when if I was honest with myself, I knew that they weren't going to take that quote. I knew they were going to take that quote and go back to their other agent and shop it. And I wasn't going to win that business. But I was so desperate early on to try to get and close business that I wasted a lot of time where I could go go after prospects that actually wanted to work with me. I say it all the time. I think younger agents and honestly, just people that are caught in the hamster wheel to begin with confuse activity with productivity. They, you know, they feel like, oh, I'm going to write, you know, I'm I'm doing all these quotes. It's going to turn into dollars when if you're quoting crap, you're never going to be able to write anyhow. All you're doing is practicing. That's it. Right. And that's, I think, one of the easiest pieces of advice to give and the hardest piece of advice to take. Because most people aren't going to be willing to walk away from opportunity. The problem is what they think is opportunity was never opportunity. They just haven't gotten to that point in the maturation of their career to where they can decipher between the two. I think that's really good advice, man. It's the number one thing that I would tell anybody too. And I do. It's the first thing we tell people in Killing Commercial. Define your ideal prospect. If you only want to write accounts that are two hundred and fifty to five hundred thousand dollars in premium, fill your pipeline with accounts that are two hundred and fifty to five hundred thousand in premium, and there's a hundred percent chance you're only going to write those sides of accounts. Don't look left, don't look right, stay in your lane. You know, and it again, I think that to your point, we we get the we feel the pressure, we feel desperate, and a lot of the times we don't realize that the sales cycle is longer on that stuff that's a little bit bigger. So we tend to get impatient and it, then it just makes us make bad decisions. So really, really good advice. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to wrap up this episode. This has been John Lyons from Insurance One in the greater Dallas, Texas area. Finalist on season two of The Protege. I wouldn't want to write churches. I wouldn't want to write restoration contractors. And I wouldn't want to write Christian universities if I was anywhere near this guy, because he's coming for your book. You better lock up the ladies and the children. See ya. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.